This is KMTT. This is Ezra Beck, and I want to take a minute for my regular broadcasting. Because this week is the KMTT Appreciation Drive Week. Once a year, and only once a year, we take a few minutes for the regular broadcasting to appeal to our listeners who are the only source of support for KMTT. KMTT is a strictly 100% listener-supported uh, program. And therefore, we have no choice, but once a year, we have to appeal to you to show your appreciation if you have appreciated, if you've learned on this program, and you want the program to continue, to show it in a material manner. Amen. And therefore, we're uh, approaching, we're appealing to the listener base, to the KMTT worldwide community, to take a few minutes this week to show the appreciation by supporting, by giving donations, donations to keep the uh, keep the program going. And how much is KMTT worth to you? It depends on how much you can afford. Uh, I would say that that's the basic membership fee for a year. It would be it would be nice if you could send us twenty to twenty five dollars. And if you want to show your appreciation per share, I'd just like to remind you that there are over uh, something like two hundred shiurim, two hundred episodes a year, so a hundred hours of programming. Coffee would be significant if we added up all those shiurim, and the show. You know, give what you can and keep the program going. And I'm going to give you two phone numbers, one for the United States, one for Israel, so that you can immediately call to get more information or to make your pledge. And, of course, on the, on the net, you can also donate from, from our website at org. And in New York, the phone number is 212-732-4874. The number of friends of Shabbat Haaretzion, and in Israel, 052-545-6023. And now back to our regular programming. KMTT Kimitzion Torah. You're listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh Parshat Vayechi, Tedvav Tevet. I'm your host, Jonathan Snowbell, and the Arab Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel. This, I'm going to discuss today is something that, for the most part, stems from uh, reading a few articles in the Jerusalem Post this week, op-ed articles, and and from there it makes us look back, back to the Chumash, back to the Torah, and... And think about things. Uh, uh, three different articles. One article about the tremendous success of birthright on connecting people to Israel, but the lack of follow-up. What's been done to keep these people as a group, keep them together, keep them connected. And I'm not aware of the details. I'm not judging, just raising the topic of the article. Number two an article about the movement of the idealist Ola from North America 
to someone who gets by in Israel and is on a day-to-day basis not living out his ideology, but is rather living from day-to-day and getting through the day with all its difficulties and being able to see the silver lining in the cloud and the beauty of living in Israel nonetheless, despite the gray day-to-day. And number three, there's an article on the futility of trying to bring North American Aliyah. And when we talk about North American Aliyah, we're talking about perhaps one of the biggest challenges of the Jewish people as a nation today. If we talk about, if we have hope for North American Aliyah, we believe that this is a a necessary piece of the Jewish people's successful history. And that, I think, when we're looking for answers from the Torah, demands for us to look back at uh, our own galut, our own history of being out of our country and coming back. Um, the question of why B'nai Israel go into galut is a question that could be discussed at the outset of Sefer Shemot when the galut in the sense of a, not a diaspora, but as a sense of an exile begins, because when one goes outside of Israel, free choice, it's hard to call it galut, exile. Exile is when the Babylonians or the Romans take you out of the country. But going out of the country of your free choice is less of a galut. When you stay there of your own choice, it's not really galut. But when you get locked in there, and you can't leave anymore, then it becomes a galut, because you might want to leave, but you can't. And that's galut mitzrayim eventually becomes, but in Sefer Shemot. We can talk about why historically, what was the need of the Jewish people to be in mitzrayim as a people. We can talk about this on various levels. We can talk about it... looking at the second half of the Torah and seeing how many mitzvot connect us back to, I would call them cardinal mitzvot, that connect us back to the fact that we were slaves in mitzvot. The treatment of the ger, the treatment of the different person. Something that repeats itself over and over again throughout Chomish, the need for us to love the, the ger, because we can identify with his struggle as we were Gerim in Mitzrayim. Our observance of Shabbat, we remember that we were slaves in Mitzrayim, and therefore we identify with the importance of Shabbat, we identify with the importance to give our slaves the ability to rest on Shabbat. In general, our humane treatment of slaves. And we can take, from this we can talk about um, something meta-historical about suffering of the Jewish people throughout the ages has, and I won't say hopefully, has made us sensitive to the plight of the other. And even in a situation with Israel today, when we talk about something on a practical level like uh, refugees from Darfur, 
The question is the difficult question. Israel in 2009 is not um, the United States of America in the 1930s and the 1940s where opportunities were there. It was a big country. There weren't any demographic challenges. The Jewish people didn't uh, weren't a challenge had they been let in to the American people, to the American economy. As opposed to Israel today, which feels is surrounded by enemies, it's, it is uh, has it does have demographic challenges and uh, feels threatened. Nonetheless, and even if one would argue that the, the demographic challenges are not real challenges, there are voices in Israel that are saying, let these people in, let the foreign workers' children stay. In other words, we're not dealing in a society where everybody says, kick them out, we don't want them. We're dealing in a society as that a society has a moral fiber. And this is due to the fact that we've been through, if not Mitzrayim, over 3,000 years ago, we've been over. We've been through more recent Mitzrayims throughout our history, the latest being, of course, the Holocaust, on a national level. And therefore, the Shiabud Mitzrayim, with all its difficulties, certainly left a moral imprint on the Jewish people, it's left its imprint on the Torah, it's left its imprint on... on the Jewish people's psyche throughout the, throughout the generations. But again, this has very little to do with, uh, with North American Jewry. But we go further. Some talk about Shiabud Mitzrayim as a result of a sin. Now, the most obvious sin that we can talk to, uh, talk about is Mechirat Yosef, the, the selling of Joseph to Mitzrayim, whether the selling by the brothers or the situation that led to a selling being the responsibility of the brothers, but the lack of unity between the Jewish people is obviously a direct cause for Shiabud Mitzrayim, for the enslavement in Mitzrayim. And it was a, there was a need to make the Jewish people into one, if, if we could talk about it, and if we showed in last week's Parsha, differences between different tribes, Yosef was removed from, from the children of Israel, from B'nai Israel, by the end of uh, all the years of slavery in Egypt, there was a melting pot, there was a unity in the Jewish people, they all suffered together, they were all one, whatever previously happened, and whatever differences existed between the different Shvatim was wiped away. And so there is a sin, there is a punishment, but there is also a correction of the sin. Now we go back earlier to, uh, to Abraham Avinu's time, which of course is when we have the prophecy, God tells Abraham, or Avram more correctly, that he tells him of the upcoming enslavement in Mitzrayim without mentioning Mitzrayim by name. You should know that your 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 children are going to be slaves in a land that's not theirs. And and commentators and Chazal try to identify a sin of Avraham Avinu which leads to this nivua, a lack of faith 
The fact that he himself went down to Mitzrayim without a correct justification, that's the Ramban's approach. Different attempts here are made to explain this. But I would like to say that at a time where Avram Avinu is just one man, and the nation is not even born yet, and his and his sign is not even born yet, that something here is being said which is much more global. There isn't a, I would call, quote-unquote, a nitpicky sin that Avram Avinu might or might not have done that led to the enslavement of an entire nation for many, many years. Because he failed to believe, because he went down to Mitzrayim. But somewhat of a declaration of need in order to make this nation into a nation, it is necessary for them to go down to a land that's not theirs. Be'eretz lolahem. Necessary for the creation of the nation, and necessary for the creation of a national identity around a land. For this nation to go down to Mitzrayim, and for them to feel, at first, welcome there, and to feel like it was their place to be. For them to maintain a distinct identity in this land. But ultimately for them to feel that this foreign land was not their land. This is needed in the birth of the Jewish people. For them to create their identity, despite being in a foreign land. For them to maintain this identity. And for them to realize that this land is not their land ultimately. And they need to go back to their land. And this is not something that we should take lightly. Because yes, there were other nations that existed at those times. And those nations didn't necessarily go through slavery in order to create their national identity. But those national identities were not maintained. I just had a friend who came back from a trip to Egypt, and we saw the pictures of these wonderful buildings that probably were built largely on our backs, and if yes or no, it doesn't make a difference. There's no remnant, culturally, and the people that live in Egypt, of, the, of those dynasties, of the Paro culture. It's gone, it's finished. And the Jewish people who were slaves in Egypt, of course, have maintained their identity for, for thousands of years. So here we have different options that we've discussed. If it's a punishment for a sin, which ultimately leads to the correction of the sin, or if it's putting morality into the psyche of the nation, embedding it into the psyche of the nation, whether it's embedding the national identity and the identity with our land, these are all different elements which could be used to explain the need for the enslavement in in Egypt. And all this being said, I cannot turn to the 
diaspora of North America with a good reason to say to them, see, see from your existence there why you should be coming. The Jewish people in North America, the ones, certainly the ones who are not Orthodox and more so the ones who are not affiliated, are losing their Jewish identity. It's not Mitzrayim. There's no, no one's forcing them to, to be their own, their, to be a Jewish identity. You take your Jewish identity by choice. You take it or leave it. And many are leaving it. Or watering it down to a, an extent where if they don't leave it, their children will certainly leave it. There's no enslavement that's forcing them to be a separate people. And frankly, there's no enslavement forcing them to feel like America, United States of America, Canada is not their country. I'm not of a belief that uh, any cataclysmic event is on its way to North American Jewry that's going to make them realize all of this. I'm of a belief that there is a challenge facing North American Jewry to come to Israel out of their own recognition without being forced to that recognition. I believe that that's, this is a unique challenge, a challenge that is necessary for the final redemption for people to understand things on their own. The Tanakh is full of stories, full of stories of the Jewish people needing to understand things by force. Uh, we begin in Sefer Shoftim. That if they are bad and they are enslaved by another people, they realize things. And if they're bad and they go into Galut, and they realize that the Beit Hamikdash is not something to be taken for granted, then they'll realize things, and so on and so forth. If the Jewish people need constant reminders and they never realize things on their own and they need to be punished in order to realize things then we'll never really get anywhere because we'll constantly go through ups and downs of coming close to God, coming back to our country and then taking it for granted and losing it over and over again. And here we have a unique challenge for North American Jewry to make this realization on their own. I say North American Jewry, I mean all Western Jewry today. Jews living in a country, in, a, in, in Western countries of their own free volition, of their own free desires, happily. Somehow, the messages of the past have to be internalized without being beaten over the head. For the Jewish people to realize their Jewish identity, for the Jewish people to realize that the land that they're living in is not their land, the Jews in Western countries should pick themselves up and help the Jewish people living in Israel face the unique challenges that the Jewish people in the land of Israel face. I don't have a magical answer. You know, there are those who will say, just you wait and see what the North American Jewry will be facing and then they'll be coming running here. I don't really believe in that. I think the world has changed. I think the world is a better place Certain parts of the world are better places. You know, there are always doomsday prophets out there, but I'm not one of them, and I don't have any knowledge of that, and I can only look at North American Jewry in the terms that they are today, and there's nothing that leads me to believe that things will get so bad that they'll have to move here. They'll have to move here of their own volition, of their own desire, in order to 
because they believe in the Jewish identity, because it's slipping away there. And even amongst Orthodox Jewry, what being a Jew is forgotten, because they've forgotten many elements of what Judaism is all about, as is written about in the Torah. It's not just about Kashrut and Shabbat and Tarat HaMishpacha and learning Torah. It's about Eretz Yisrael, it's about a nation living in its own country. And that's the first and foremost lesson of what the Jewish people are all about. And so therefore, are there any conclusions? There's no conclusions, except that we all have to come back to Israel. That's what we see, that's what we learn from our long history. How this lesson will be imparted on North American Jewry, it's a conundrum. Shabbat Shalom. This week we read Parshat Vayichi. The obvious mitzvah in Parshat Vayichi is mitzvah Kivura. Yaakov Avinu is, uh, is buried. As well as other mitzvot or dinim or recommendations connected to Shatamitat, when a person is, uh, is dying. For instance, that there's the Nyan of Tzava'a, which many commentators relate back to Yaakov Avinu, that he called his sons, he called his grandson, he called Yosef to give him instructions. Uh, so not like a last will and testament before one's death. Um, those those are the obvious halachot. Uh, one other obvious halacha because it's mentioned explicitly, but it's worth uh, it's quite explicit in the pasuk, but it's worth uh, repeating is the pasuk Vayivachem Bayom Ahu Leimo B'Chayivarech Yisrael Leimo Yisimcha Lokim Kefrayim Vachim Nashe. Yaakov Avinu said to Yosef, he blessed. Yosef's children, by Yivarchem, he blessed Yosef's children, Ephraim and Manasseh, and said to them, In you, Israel will bless, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And Rashi on the spot explains, what does it mean, Yisrael? Truth is, Yisrael in Breshit usually means Yaakov. It's Yaakov's name, but it makes no sense. Yaakov said to them that Israel should bless. Who, who's Israel here? So, Rashi says, the, the Pshad is, it's one of the first, not the first, at least the second or the third, but one of the first mentions of Israel meaning the name of the Jewish people. Becha, Rashi says, Tayush Rashi al Torah, Becha yivarech Israel, haba levarech et banav. When anyone comes to bless his children, yivarechem bebirkatam. He should bless them using this formula. Yisimcha elokim, and says that that is the Pshat. I was writing the Rashi, some sort of a Durosh. And man says, no, this is the Pshat. There's no other meaning to this Pasuk. Yaakov blessed them by saying, the Jewish people in the future will bless their children using the names Ephraim and Menashe. So, does this mean that it's a halacha? I mean, Yaakov predicted, or more than predicted, he blessed them. But why is it obligate me to fulfill it? I mean, obviously, it seems to be the right to Jewish minute to do. Yaakov said, this is what's going to take place. So why should we, as Yaakov defined it as being the Jewish way to bless. You bless your children in the names of Ephraim and Menashe. And, and you know, it's, it's more or less quoted in the Foskim. It's found in the Sidurim. As Berkat Av Le'iladav, the Shabbat, or Yom Erev Yom Kippur. Interestingly enough, in the Targum Yonatan, to this pasuk, it, it interprets it in that manner, but with a little bit of addition. It says, "Becha." You know, the pasuk says, 
Vayivachem, he blessed them by saying, Becha, Yivarech Israel. In you, Israel will be blessed. Uh, in you is singular in, he, in, the, in the Hebrew, Becha. So Targum Yonatan says, Becha, Becha Yosef Beri. Yaakov says, he blessed the children of Ephraim and Asher by saying to Yosef, in you, Yosef, my son, will Israel bless Yivachun Beit Yisrael Yat Yenuka Biyome de Mahulta Lemeimer Yishvinach Hashem Kefraim Uchim Nasheh Becha Yosef Bnei Yivachu Bnei Yisrael Et Hatinok Biyom Hamila Lagid Yisimcha Hashem Kefraim Uchim Nasheh So he specifically says that this bracha that in the future, this is the way, Beit Yisrael, this is the way the Jews will bless their children, is Yenuka biyoma de Mahulta, a infant on the day of the Brit Mila. Now we don't do that. It's not part of the ceremony of Brit Mila for anyone to say, I've been to many Britot where if there's a Kohen, he says, I've never been to one where the father or somebody says, and so there actually is a comment by uh, David uh, David Loya on this Perush uh, Yonatan where he says oh we do do it because we say Zakatan Gadol Yiyeh the bracha for the infant that's made uh, after the Brit includes the word Zakatan Gadol Yiyeh which means this little boy should grow up to be a big boy but he interprets it to me, no, that the younger should become greater. It means it's, it's at least the Ephraim. Ephraim was the younger. And the end of the Pasuk, Vayasam et Ephraim lifnei menasheh. Sochalkim ke Ephraim uchi menasheh. Ephraim comes first. So that's referred to by Zeha Katan. This little one will be Gadol. He will be bigger than his bigger than his brothers. So that's sort of a kind of a Jewish. Obviously, we don't actually do the set of Brit, even though the Targum says it specifically about, um, about, about a bit. But uh, generally speaking, the post came quoted, and then the city it's found in the Machzorim, old Machzorim, that it's a um, it's it's a general minhag. Ben Osajigon in Pegush Torah says, a person not only, not only to children, in other words, not just not only to the Brit, not even to a father to a child. Ishlerei he says. So, uh, this is sort of, I don't know how to define it exactly. It's somewhere in between a halacha and a, and a very, very positive minig. A minig that's mentioned in the Torah is part of the nevuah, is part of the prophecy in the bracha of Yaakov Avinu to his child Yosef and to his grandchildren is that this will be the way the Jews should give bachot. And of course, it is the minig in Amisal and to, at least for fathers to give a bracha to their children as to the sons, as Yisimcha Elokim Kefraim Bechim Nasheh, and the Sidum already include the Nusach for daughters, based on a different Pasuk, Yisimcha Elokim Kesara, Ucharitka Kerachel Chaleya, Shebanu Abatan Et Beit Yisrael, which is taken from Sefer, from Sefer, uh, from Sefer Ruth. The question, of course, that one would ask is, why? Like, what, what's... It's very nice to tell them, Ephraim and Nasheh, that I'm giving you a bracha that your name should be used, but why should we do it? And I was like, what's the point? What are we trying to say? Why Kefraim Achim Nasheh? Not like 
ובין שמעון הביא יהודה יששכר זבולון ובנימין דן ונפתלי גד ואשר. What is so special about Ephraim ומנשה? So, I think anyone can say whatever they want here. Like, what, 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 what is your kavanah, in fact, when you say this to your children? כאפרים וכמנשה. I think in terms of pshat, what is special about Ephraim ומנשה, and in fact it's mentioned explicitly in the pasuk, when they first come, Yosef brings them, uh, Yosef first, first goes to Yaakov, uh, when Yaakov is, is getting old, that these were the children who were born to Yosef ad bo'i elecha mitzrayma. These were children born to Yosef when Am Yisrael, when the rest of the house of Yaakov was living in Eretz Yisrael. In other words, they were really born in Golis. You say that all, anyone born in Mitzrayim was born in Golis. Yes, but all of Am Yisrael was living there. They were born within the community of Israel. But these two children were born outside the community of Israel. And the father was a high Egyptian official who was uh, more or less cut off from his family. And they were born into that situation. And apparently, nonetheless, they are Tzadikim, and Yaakov Avinu includes them in Am Yisrael, makes them part of Am Yisrael. And so, to some extent, as opposed to other children who are naturally simply born to be part of Knesset Yisrael, Ephraim and Asher are found truly worthy of almost joining. They're, they're biologically Jews, but they've been cut off, and Yaakov Avinu brings them back in. He makes them Shvatim. So I, I suspect that that's part of the meaning is. means you should be a good Jew, but you should be a good Jew because you made yourself a good Jew. You should be worthy of having the Shekhinah on you. Not merely because call Yisrael because every Jew is part of the, the, the throne of God. But, but that we should look at you and say you have created the conditions You've, you, you've, you've made yourself part of Knesset Yisrael, even if you hadn't been, at least in the fullest extent, part. That, 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 that's my own feeling. It's also special about Ephraim and Chim Nasheh. Two children who were not Shvatim who became Shvatim. Obviously they were Jews, but they were not Shvatim. They were not, they were not the tribes themselves. And now they are, because of the previous statement of Yaakov, who made them into, who made them into tribes. Uh, but for my main point, I want to talk about a different halacha, which is quoted actually as a halacha, even though it's not uh, 100%, I think, uh, but it's very, very similar. And it's also mentioned in connection with with uh, this week's with this week's parasha. Yaakov Avinu, in the beginning of the parasha, uh, befalls ill. And that's when Yosef goes to visit him and brings his children, brings the family of Yosef and to visit him. The Gemara in Bav also in Sanhedrin, of Kovzayin, Bav Metziah, of Pezayin, says, Ad Yaakov lo havei chulsha. Before Yaakov, nobody was sick. The Gemara has a list of things there that, when the first time it says something in the Torah, it's the first time it happens. So this is the first time it says somebody was chula. It means the kind of illness that precedes death. In other words, he was, the word here is used in the Aramaic, chulsha, a weakness. Yaakov Avinu was fading out. Before that, it didn't happen. Atta Yaakov ba'i rachame. Yaakov prayed that it should take place. Vahabe chosha. Shinema vayom al-Yosef inei avicha chole. The reason, Rashi explains this in Hedrin, why, why did Yaakov want to have sickness? So he says, no, before the people used to die suddenly. 
And Yaakov said, if that happens, people cannot call their children in to do their last will and testament. They can't part. They can't depart. They can't take their take their leave of their families and loved ones. And therefore, sickness before death is a bracha. That there should be a opportunity for each and every one of his children to come from wherever they're found. To attend the death. It's something which in the modern era, where most people die in hospital, we sort of lost the connection. But you know, I think of the old picture of someone, patriarch, dying relatively slowly. But we all know he's dying because you can see that he's dying. He is chulsha, he's sick. And his children, his family come and they attend to him. He's able to speak to them. She says. Okay, that's all it says in the Gemara. But there's a Gemara in Brachot, Dafnun Gimel, that has the following statement. The Gemara there, the context is totally different. The Gemara there previously said that uh, if you're sitting in the Beit Midrash and they bring you the, the uh, you made Abdullah separately, but you haven't made the Bracha of Orei Haesh, the Bracha on fire. Let's say Shabbat, and they bring it to the Beit Midrash, whether each person makes it or whether one person makes it to everybody. Beit says, one person makes it for everybody. If you have a whole congregation, one person should make the bracha. It's nice when a bracha is made by one person for everybody rather than individual bracha. But Beit Shammai said that each one should make it. The Moshe says, what's the reason for Beit Shammai? Why did Beit Shammai not say, in the multitude is the glory of the king? And the answer is, they said they were sitting in the Beit HaMidrash and they were learning and if each person, if they have to stop and listen, you have to clap on the table, get everybody to be quiet and to pay attention, it takes much longer. Because it's Beit Torah. It's better that each person should make the bracha by himself. It takes only one second. Then the Gemara says, another example of Beit Beit HaMidrash, how we should minimize interruptions in, in learning in the Beit HaMidrash. Beit Rabban Gamliel Lo Hayu Omrim Marpeh by Rabbi Gamliel, they didn't say the word Marpei in the Beit HaMidrash. In order not to cause an interruption of the learning in the Beit HaMidrash. What is the word Marpei that they didn't say? Marpei is from the Shoresh of Rifu'ah, a, a, uh, a healing. Rashi explains. What does it mean, Marpei? L'Adam. They didn't say Marpeit Adam Hamit Atesh. They didn't say Marpeit to Adam to a person who sneezed. In other words, they didn't say Gesundheit. Okay. Marpeit is the Tanaic version of Gesundheit. Shegegilim Lomar Asuta. Well, she says, because the custom is, Regilim, to say Asuta. Asuta is the Aramaic word for health. Labriut, Marpeit. Gesundheit. We begin lomar asuta to one who sneezes, but in the Beit Midrash they didn't say it. They didn't say it because in order not to interrupt the learning. Why? Rashi just knows the fact. It's, it's a customary to say asuta, to say gesundheit to someone who sneezes. So the Vavitiva Eger gives us the source for what Rashi's custom. And he says that you should look in Pirkei Debeleza, Perek Nunbet. Pirkei Debeleza, a late Midrashic work. And there the following statement appears in Perak Nunbet, which is a working, an extension of the Gemara in, uh, that I quoted the Gemara Baba Metziah. 
פיקד אבסס אספלוס, מיום שנבראו שמיים וארץ לא היה אדם חולה. From the creation of the world, no man was ill. אלא, here's the part that doesn't appear in the Gemara, אלא, אם היה בדרך או בשוק והיה עוטש, בנשמתו יוצא מן החירב. When it came time for him to die, wherever he was, in the middle of the street, he would sneeze and his soul would depart. Now they were sneezing, they used to sneeze out their souls. And that's how people died. עד שבא יעקב אבינו, ביקש רחמים, and here it goes back to the quote from the Gemara, יעקב אבינו came and he prayed, ואמר ריבון כל העולמים, he said to God, and he explains, he also explains the reason which we, uh, which I quote the name of Rashi, but here it's found explicit in the Pekad of Elazar. He said to God, אל תיקח נפשי ממני, do not take my soul from me, עד שאצווה את בניי ובנותיי, before I have a chance to dictate, to give my last will and testament to my sons and daughters. And God agreed by giving him, it doesn't explain it explicitly, but by, he didn't die by sneezing, but he died by being chole. And therefore everyone came and they had a chance to, they had warning, and, and they were able to take care of it. Now the Pirkei adds, A man is obligated to say, to say when he sneezes, Chayim. You can say the word Chaim, Lachaim. The language of the Pirdazer is that he says it to himself. There's another attempt at fix the Girsah that others should say to him, which is the way Rashi quotes it, that Omrim Adama Mitatesh Asuta. But Pirdazer says a man says, Ba'atishato, when he sneezes, Chaim. Shenepach Hamavetazer Lo'o. Shenemar Atishotav Tahel O. Because there's been a transformation in the past, in the distant past. Sneezing was a sign of death. Today you sneeze, you don't die. But maybe you should mention the fact. Or perhaps it's perhaps still has the potential for death. Maybe you give mubracha. Asuta, it should be it should be l'chaim. In the Gaonim, it's quoted that a person should say lishuatcha kiviti Hashem when he sneezes. It's the same idea. So this is the Makkah. Again, it's not, there's no explicit Gemara. The Gemara says that no one was sick by Yaakov Avinu. And Vashi says that there's Vigilim, there's a custom to say Asuta, to say Gezutah, someone who sneezes. Kvega puts it two together based on a picket of Eleazar. To Yaakov Avinu, nobody was sick, but the alternative was that they used to sneeze their souls out. Yaakov Avinu changed that. You no longer sneeze your soul out. You let it... it, it it leaks out slowly in a long and perhaps difficult. I have to realize that it's a very pointed medrash because in some ways it's maybe nicer just to sneeze your soul out. You don't have the illness which characterizes old age, the diminution, the slow diminution, wasting away, which so often characterizes and we and, and we feel the sorrow and, and, and we talk about how wouldn't it be nice if someone had mitat nishika, should I, relatively speaking, suddenly, cleanly and evenly, but the, the Midrash is saying that there's a problem involved in dying in the street just by sneezing it out. The person needs the opportunity, needs the warning to, to, to take his leave of the world. There's so many things that you have to say and you have to... And therefore you need a certain period where you're reminded, and then Yosef comes to visit him. And so therefore, it turns out there's this... There's this I'm saying the language of was a chayav adam, and that man is obligated. Rashi said, but there's this Indian of 
saying asuta, saying gesundheit, saying lechayim, saying labriut, saying marpei, the words of the Gemara, to someone who has who has uh, sneezed. The Yom Shishlomo in Babakama says, if someone says to you asuta, someone says to you gesundheit, so you shouldn't say thank you. You should say baruch tia. He give you a bracha. You should give him a bracha. And then afterwards he says, say, Lishuatcha Kiviti Hashem. Which he knew about from the previous books that talked about saying Lishuatcha Hashem. Why? So the Gemara says, It's better to pray for somebody else even when you need it. When you pray for somebody else, something which you yourself need, God will answer you for yourself. So if someone wishes you well, in other words, he understood that when you sneeze, you're a little bit sick. You're on the verge of what used to take place. You're on the verge of dying. And they say, Asuta, and they so to speak, save you. They say, Asuta, it should be l'chayim v'lolamavet. It should be for a good thing, not for a bad thing. But you still do, in fact, need the, the minute that said, you say, l'shu'at ha'kibit Hashem, meant that there's something to pray about here. You're, you're basically in the realm of death. Every sneeze is the realm of death. But we say, l'shu'at ha'kibit Hashem, a God saves us from it. It's not natural. The natural order of Bereshit, when the world was created, that was natural law. Natural law said sneezes are death. But there's a miracle, apparently a constant miracle, whereby God saves us. He said, Hashem, for your salvation, I hope God. But you shouldn't pay for yourself without paying for somebody else first. So you have to show more paskans, halacha You should say, someone says to you, gesundheit. You say to him, baruch You should have the blessing of life. Hashem, and I too should have the blessing of life, and that way, and that way it actually will, uh, will work properly. That's all for today. Parshat Vayechi will begin Parshat Shmot next week. Shabbat Shalom Uvevorach. You have been listening to KMTT Kimitzion Tetzay Torah. And once again, I wish to remind you that this is KMTT Appreciation Drive Week. And we're waiting to hear from you. Phone number in New York, 212-732-4874. And in Eretz Yisrael, 052-545-6023. Call to.